Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. All right, Isaiah 55, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, verses 8 and 9. We're going to open with verses 8 and 9 tonight, and um, we're going to forego any sort of introduction, and uh, because of time, I really want us to finish the chapter tonight, and I've got a lot to cover. So, verses 8 and 9 says, G, uh, the Bible says here, God is speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my way, are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lord God, I pray tonight that you'd help us to see in the Bible exactly those things that will help us to grow. Lord God, tonight will be a reset of our perspective. Sometimes, Lord, we need that because we get a little too, um, a little too haughty and arrogant about our own opinion and our own life's experiences, and Lord, we become a little too forgetful about how perfect and omnipotent and powerful and uh, how infinite you are. God, help us tonight. You have that reset button hit, not only in our mind, but in our hearts. Lord, help us to leave here tonight with that fresh perspective, and Lord God, may it bring comfort, may it challenge us, may it convict us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, the title of the Bible study is Come Thirsty, based out of verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and you need to be thirsty for God. I said to you that if you're driving through a desert area and you have drinks in your cooler in your car, uh, when you come to the next gas station, uh, you're not going to pull off and get a drink if you already have drinks in your car and you're not thirsty. But if you're driving down a hot, uh, dry road with no place to stop for a couple of hours and you come upon a place that has cold beverages available to you and you are thirsty, you're going to pull off and pay the money uh, for that. And many people, they have no interest in the Bible. They have no interest in daily Bible reading. They have no interest in growth because they're not thirsty. They're being uh, satisfied by the world. And as a result, they have no thirst for the Word of God. When we set the world to the side and we let God's Word quench our soul, what we find is there's a, there's a satisfaction uh, that is far better. Uh, I sometimes make the mistake when I'm out and about before dinner time of stopping and getting a hamburger from McDonald's. Can you believe I would do such a wretched thing? And uh, you know what? I get this hamburger from McDonald's and, and, and I eat that thing down and um, I come home and I walk in the house and Angela is cooking dinner. And she says, wash up, we're going to eat. And I think, well, am I going to tell her I had a hamburger from McDonald's? Or am I just going to pretend I'm hungry and sit down and, you know, gorge myself with a second dinner? And um, sometimes we don't read the Bible because we've had an unhealthy filling of our soul from the world and sin. And the world is just as bad for your spiritual health as McDonald's is for your physical health. And then you come to church... And you don't even listen during the preaching because you're not hungry. Or you go home and you don't read your Bible because you're not hungry. Why put the bread of life in your heart when you put the bread of the world in your heart? You see the problem here? We need a fresh perspective of who God is. Because when we get that perspective, it causes us to set the world to the side and partake of the Word of God more wholly. So, uh, by uh, just... 
very quick review. Number one, without just by reading off the points here. Number one, we looked at, let's see here. We looked at the cost of eternal satisfaction. And then number two, we looked at the command to seek. Let's jump in number, uh, tonight, look at number three. The contrast of God's superiority. The contrast of God's superiority. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So, God doesn't think the way we think. God doesn't operate the way we operate. Uh, the paths He walks and the paths we walk are very different from each other. Look at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and we don't know how far the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So, let me give you letter A here. Notice, a limitless God. A limitless God. God is limitless. In every way, God is limitless. Let's go through just a short list of ways that God is limitless. And we're going to cross-reference many verses here. So get those Bibles out and get ready to turn to some verses. Notice that God is an omnipotent God. All that means is that God is all-powerful. There is nothing He cannot do in His might. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse number 27. We're going to hold our place in Isaiah 55 because that will be our main text. But let's uh, let's turn uh, and look at some verses tonight. He's an omnipotent God. Isaiah 33 and verse number 27. And then as I'm making commentary, you can look at the screen and then start working toward the next passage there. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Notice here, this verse describes him as an eternal God. That means without beginning or end. It describes his arms as everlasting arms. I've seen some strong guys in my day. I used to go to the gym and work out. And I would go to the gym and I would try to lift weights and I'd look over at those guys. The belt, the barbell would be bending in half from all the weights that would be on there. And uh, I would have, you know, a couple of 10-pound weights on my bar. And, and I'd be struggling to get that up and down. And I'd look over and I'd see these guys with arms that were massive. But you know what the Bible says about the arms of God? They are everlasting arms. The strength of God uh, cannot be calculated or measured. He is limitless in His power. There is nothing God cannot do in His might. There are times where I work and I try and I work and I try and I put forth every bit of effort and strength and might that I have. And you know what I find is that I am limited in my strength. But God, there is nothing that God cannot do. The old children's song says, My God is so big. Big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. All right. Uh, we see next here. Not only is he an omnipotent God, he is an omniscient God. Turn over to Psalm 147 and verse number five. And for sake of time, as I'm preaching, you turn to the next passage there. Psalm 147, verse five. The Bible says, "Great is our Lord, and of great power." I love this right here. His understanding is infinite. 
His understanding is infinite. Years ago, on a Wednesday evening, I attended a church service in just a little country town right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, was there with my children, taking them to Hershey Park. This would have been probably 2013, 2012, 2014, somewhere in there. We walked into a little country church on a Wednesday night outside of Harrisburg. There might have been ten people there, and the pastor got up, and it was a very uh, casual type service. And He got a marker board out, sort of like the one Miss Marcia uses for her class in here. Had it set up on an easel, and he took out a Sharpie, or rather a, a dry erase marker, and he drew a giant circle on there and he got a stick that's probably this long and he said to a young man in the room he said I'm going to start this he said this circle here represents all of the knowledge of the world all of the knowledge there is to be had is inside this circle he said I'm going to begin to move this stick down the circle and when you think you know what fits inside that circle I want you to tell me to stop and that guy started down he didn't get down a centimeter and the teenager said stop Stop! He said, that's all I know. He said, I probably know less than that. You know what? Sometimes we think we know everything. We act like we know everything. We act like we've got all the Bible figured out. We act like we've got all of life figured out. We act like we've got all the relationships figured out. We act like we got politics figured out. But the reality is that you know very little and God knows everything. Who lives in the middle of Sweden? I mean the dead center of Sweden. What's his name or her name? How many children does that person have? How many steps do they take today? You see, you don't know that, but God knows every detail of all 8 billion people that walk this earth. God knows every detail about every planet in our solar system. God knows every detail about every star in the sky. There is nothing that God does not know. His understanding is infinite. We see a limitless God. Notice not only is He an omnipotent God, and not only is He an omniscient God, notice next, He is an omnipresent God. Look at Proverbs 15 with me in verse number 3. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I was witnessing to one of our children this week during neighborhood Bible time. I had a group of four children in a Sunday school room, and I was giving them the gospel, and I was explaining to them about sin, and I asked uh, one of them to raise their hand and tell me uh, uh, an example of a sin. And they're all going around giving one, and one little girl, she begins to pull on her finger, and she looks down and she says, um, um, like when you break uh, your mom's vase and then you lie about it. And I thought, that is highly specific. And so I, I couldn't resist. I looked at her and I said, did you do that? And she put her head down and said, and you know what? That guilt-ridden conscience, she ended up getting saved. You know what? There is no sin that you can commit. There is no good you can do that God doesn't know about. Have you ever done something uh, good for someone else and no one knew it was you and you thought, nobody knows that I did that for that person? I hope that happens from time to time. The Bible says every man will proclaim his own glory, but a faithful man who can find. Very few men do something good for other people and don't end up telling somebody about it, right? I mean, I can't even wash the dishes for my wife without telling her, I wash the dishes for you, and expecting her to say, 
Good job. All right. Uh, but uh, uh, listen, uh, when you do good and nobody else knows about it, do you know who knows? The Lord knows. Do you know that when you sneak off somewhere by yourself and you think nobody's watching what you're doing and you're doing something wrong, did you know that God sees and He knows? When we cheat on our taxes, when we lie at work about how many hours we've worked, when we're playing Candy Crush on our phone at work when we should be working, He sees the evil and He sees the good. Why? Because He is an omnipresent God. He is all places at all times. David said, whether I make my bed in hell or I make my bed wherever, you are there and you know He is an omnipresent God. But notice next here, He is an ageless eternal God. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 58. And boy, the Pharisees wanted to kill him over this statement. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. You know what I am means? That means I always, I I was, I am, I will be. You can't wrap time around God. Listen, you and I exist inside the realm of time. We are limited by time, much like a computer program is limited by that. Uh, the components of a computer program are limited by the computer, uh, pro, uh, the program itself. And then the programmer exists outside the realm of that program. Uh, listen, God exists outside of the realm of time. He is ageless. He's not restricted by time. He's always has been. Somebody mockingly said, well, who created the Creator? And the answer is so simple. Nobody created the Creator because the Creator exists outside of the time span and He always has been. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. We serve a God whose ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is higher than us as the heavens are than the earth. He is an omnipotent God. He is an omniscient God. He is an omnipotent my present God, He is an ageless, eternal God. Notice next, He is infinite in wisdom and understanding. He is infinite in wisdom and understanding. James chapter 1. Look at there with me at James chapter 1 and verse number 5. The Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. I like to pick on all my conservative friends. Did you know that God is a liberal? The Bible says it right here. Oh, you don't like that, do you? James 1 verse 5. Giveth to all men Liberally, God gives wisdom out in liberal portions. Amen. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on track here. All right, I'm not going any farther down that trail. Uh, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Look at James three verse seventeen, just a couple pages over there. Look what it says there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy. The wisdom that is from above comes from God, by the way, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That means that there's no favor that leans toward one person or the other. There's no uh, manipulation in the wisdom of God. Uh, There's no 
preferential treatment in the wisdom of God. Uh, listen, there's no hypocrisy in the wisdom of God. You can be the pastor of the church and ask for wisdom, or you can be someone who's been away from God for years, just beginning to make your way back and ask for wisdom. And He gives to, watch this, all men or all people liberally. He abrades not. He doesn't hold back. It's like he gets the big 55-gallon drum and he just dumps it right over the top of your head and he says, here's all the wisdom that you need. Why? Because nobody gives counsel to the Lord. Nobody gives counsel to the Lord. God does not have a board of people in heaven that He turns to and says, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of stuck on this one. What do you all think I should do? God does not do that because God does not need counsel. He is infinite in His wisdom and understanding. Sometimes I am am a little stuck on which direction to go. and I'll call a deacons meeting and I'll sit down with our deacons and I'll ask them for opinions and I'll get uh, various opinions. This week I I had uh, uh, the deacons reached out to and gathered opinions on a direction and a decision to make because I'm limited in my wisdom and I'm limited in my understanding. But God is infinite in those things. He is uh, He is an omnipotent God, an omniscient God, an omnipresent God. He is an ageless, eternal God. He is infinite in wisdom and understanding. How about this one? His love for His own is limitless. His love for His own is limitless. Now turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 35. And I was very careful how I worded this. God's love toward all of humanity is not limitless. Did you know that if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, God will eventually cut His love off and place you under His wrath? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, 1 John 2.2, 2, oh, this is a pesky verse. Uh, uh, he, uh, uh, John said, uh, He is not the propitiation for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. Jesus died for all of the sins of all of the world so that all could be saved. But guess what? If you choose to reject God and you choose to reject His love, well, then His love eventually gets cut off from you. But if you believe in Jesus to be your Savior, then His love toward you is limitless and it abounds uh, in, in ways that cannot be measured. It is an ocean that is bottomless. It is an ocean that is borderless. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 35. And Paul here is speaking to Christians in the church of Rome. He says, "...who shall separate us from the love of Christ?" Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor might, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, a limitless God. And if you're one of His children, there is a limitless love that is poured down on you. And look, you may wake up and have a good day. You may wake up and have a bad day. You might be nice and sweet to everyone. You might be cranky and mean to everyone. You might come to church and smile and shake hands. You might come to church and scowl at everybody. You might uh, go to work and and get fired. You might go to work and get a raise. You might go to the store and uh, win the million dollar sweepstakes for being the millionth customer. You may 
may go to the store and get your wallet stolen. But whatever it is, God's love is limitless toward you. You cannot exhaust the love of God. You may be faithful to church. You may leave church and forget God. But He never stops loving you. Oh, one great fallacy taught in many churches today is that God's love toward you is completely dependent on how you behave. You can go out tonight, you can get drunk, shoot up. You can go out tonight and, and sleep around. You can go out tonight and, and uh, defraud your body. You can go out tonight and do things that are ugly and awful that you ought not do. Do you know what? God's love toward you never changes. But we should not abuse that love. We should not take advantage of that love. His love ought to drive us to serve Him. Watch this. We don't serve God to earn His love. We serve God because of His limitless love. Oh, the love of Christ. How loyal He is to us. How loyal we should be back to Him. We see a limitless God. Let's turn our attention to letter B and notice the limitations of man. The limitations of man. Turn with me, if you would, over to Psalm chapter number 8 in your Bibles. Psalm chapter number 8. You know, there's just something to be said about getting outside and being in nature. We live in uh, cities, we sleep in nice homes, we have uh, cars, we have nice things, uh, we have busy schedules, we have electronics. Uh, I've got all these things, and I'm not against them. But listen, uh, I don't think God intended for us to, to live with these things around us all the time. I think God wants us to maybe be outside in nature a little bit more than we are so we can see just how great of a creator our king is. And when we get outside in nature and we don't worship nature or creation, we worship the creator of the creation, all of a sudden we get a fresh perspective of how big and great our is. God, our, uh, great our God is. Oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Look at Psalm chapter 8. Look at verse number 1. Oh, I've got some thoughts here for you tonight. Oh, Lord, our Lord, David writes, and he's sitting under, probably sitting under a tree, watching some sheep as he writes this, as a, a young shepherd. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Look at verse, look at verse 1 there. Read, read, read that with me. In fact, let's read this chapter out loud. Can we do that, everybody? Let's read this chapter together out loud, the whole chapter. Ready? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor." Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. David sat there looking up at those stars. I love going out to Vermont, New Hampshire, or just the country here in Connecticut to a place away from the city lights and looking up and seeing all, all the stars in the sky. Seeing the, the so many more stars than we can see here with the city lights that drowned out and looking up and knowing that God 
fingers. Do you know how the stars got where they are? According to the Word of God, I take this literally, but according to the Word of God in multiple places, in at least three places in the Bible, the Bible says that God stretched forth the heavens. You know what that means? That means He created the stars right next to the earth. And then He took His hands and He pulled them out like this. And He left the light in its place. And here we measure them at the speed of light to be millions of light years away. How big do the hands of God have to be to be able to pull out the stars just like that? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God measures the universe with a span. You know, our universe is so vast and large, we can't even understand it. We've sent telescopes out there to try to observe it, and God says, I got it right there. Right there, there's the whole universe. The Bible says that He measures the waters of the sea in the palm of His hand. Sometimes what I like to do when I'm having a tough time, I've done this a number of times since I've been here at White Oak, is I drive down to Lordship in Stratford. There's a little restaurant there along the water. There's some parking there, and I'll park there. And, and I don't, I've never been in the restaurant, but park there. And I, there's a stone wall, and I go sit on that stone wall, and my feet just dangle over the other side. Usually I go and it's dark out, or, or maybe there's a, a strong moonlight, and I look at all of the water out there in the Long Island Sound, and I try to imagine a palm big enough to come under and hold all that water. You know, my brain can't do it. And that water that I'm looking at right there is just a drop in the bucket of all the water on planet Earth. And David said, as he looked at the creation, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? I am nothing. In comparison to you, you are big and strong and mighty, and I'm this little teeny tiny thing, and I am not worthy of you giving me any attention, but yet you love me, yet you know me, yet you count the hairs of my head, you count the steps I take, you know how many times my heart beats, you know the thoughts I think, you catch the tears I cry in a bottle, you write down my prayers in a book, you love me. Oh, He's powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth, but He's personal enough to love me and you. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Sometimes we have a problem come up uh, that needs to be solved in our home and uh, I'll ask my children what they think maybe we should do to solve the problem and they give me an answer and I think, that's not the answer. And I have to step back and go, they're 14 and they're 12. I'm getting ready to turn 40 in a few months. Clearly, they don't have the life or experience or wisdom that I have. My ways are not their ways. My thoughts are not their thoughts. My ways and thoughts, regardless of what they believe, are superior to theirs. How many here ever raised teenagers, and your teenagers think they know better than you, and you think, uh, no. You know why? Because, and I have to explain this to my teenagers, when you are my age then you'll have more wisdom than you have right now. Why? Because as you live life, you get smarter and you have experiences. And you know what? I was a teenager and I tried the same thing you're trying. Knock it off! All right? You know what I'm talking about tonight? Some of you have adult children and you've got to tell them the same thing, don't you? All right? Um, Listen, how much more does God know than you? And here you run into a problem. Instead of dropping to your knees and praying, you try to work it out on your own. Here you run into an issue with a family member, a friend, maybe a social problem at work or at church. 
And instead of dropping to your knees and asking God to show you, you know, I know this might sound cruel, but sometimes I let my children suffer. Oh, I don't mean like, you know, where they need to go to the hospital, but I mean maybe they have a social problem. And you know what I do? I let them suffer. Maybe they have a, uh, a laziness problem, and I let them suffer with a bad grade. I will swoop in and rescue them. Because you know what I know? I know that suffering does more to fix them and change their character than me stepping in and solving their problem for them. Sometimes, you know, maybe God's doing that to you. He's letting you go through a hardship in life because He's tried correcting you in more gentle ways, but you're stubborn and you won't listen. So God steps back and says, okay, go ahead and try it your way. But my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are as far above your ways as the heavens are than the earth. We have a limitless God, but yet sometimes we think we got all of this figured out on our own. God is right there ready to help us. What a powerful, what a powerful combination that you have an all-powerful God who deeply loves the saved. Oh, may we turn to God and trust Him instead of trying to walk through life on our own. We see lastly, number four, the capacity of God's eternal seed. Oh man, this one is rich too. Look at verse number 10, and let's read down through verse number 13. For uh, Isaiah 55. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. By the way, seed to the sower, we're going to see down later in the chapter. Bread to the eater, we, that takes us back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. Look at verse 11. So shall my word be... Uh, that goeth forth out of thy mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and, and and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and the trees of the field shall clasp their hands. Instead, the thorns shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Very quickly here, notice letter A, the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word. Look with me at verse number 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. You know what? The rain and snow that falls from the sky, none of it goes to waste. It runs down into rivers, and then that gets re evaporated back up into our uh, ecosystem and then it comes back down in the form of rain. And you know what rain and snow does? Rain and snow brings forth the hydration the ground needs so that we can have uh, uh, vegetation come up and we can have wheat come out of the ground. You know what? Never, ever, ever does rain or snow get wasted. That rain and snow ends up producing exactly what we need to feed ourselves. And God's Word, none of it gets wasted. You think, oh man, I read my Bible today and none of it helped me. You know what God's Word doesn't do? It doesn't return void. You may not quite understand what you read today, but you keep reading and reading and reading, and God's Word does a work in your heart. Just as snow and rain bring forth a harvest, God's Word is going to bring forth a harvest in your life. But you know what you need? You need to consistently put it down. Uh, really quick here, uh, over at the house here, the church owns, where are we at? It's over this way. Okay, over this way. Uh, we had a mole problem in our backyard. Anybody here ever had a mole problem 
in their yard. Oh, those little pesky creatures. They are pesky. So I went down to Home Depot and I bought a couple of bags of, uh, of, of, of you know, stuff to throw down on the lawn. And I went out with my seed spreader and I put that stuff all over the lawn. But then you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to put a sprinkler system in place. And you know what? It rained and rained and rained and rained. And then I thought, that's going to take care of it. But you know what I needed to do? I needed to make sure that water came every day for a long time. And then I, you know, I ended up having to go out and put seed back down again and water it this time consistently. Some of you here, you read God's Word in spurts. You read it for a month and think, oh, that didn't help me. I'm going to give up on this. And then you hear preaching from the Word of God and you think, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible. So you read it for two weeks and then you quit. You know what the key here is? got to read it and read it and read it and read it and read it day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. And what you find is all of a sudden that consistency, boy, that Word of God takes root in your heart and some powerful things begin to change in your life. It does not only change your life. What it begins to do is it begins to change generations of of, of family to come. Instead of having a family that goes down a path of sickness and struggle and sin, all of a sudden you begin to have a a family of your own. And all of a sudden you see happiness and joy and peace. And what was the difference? It was the Word of God that stepped in and made a powerful change in your life. Why? Because God's Word doesn't return void. The sovereignty and superiority of God flows down from heaven onto the seat of God's Word and makes a powerful change. God's Word is at work all throughout the world. You may look down today and you might think, well, I don't know what God's Word has done for me. And I would say, take just a minute and quit being so selfish and look at what God's Word has done since it was given to man and it was pinned and finalized and mass printed all over the world. Look at the millions of people that have been saved. Look at the millions of lives that have been changed all because God's Word is so powerful. Letter A, we see the power of God's Word. Letter B, we see the provisions of God's Word. The provisions of God's Word. Look at verse number 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give, what? Seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. We see here two things. We see seed to the sower. Luke chapter 8, Jesus references the sower and the seed. And you know what God's Word does? It produces more seed that we're able to throw out. And then more seed that we're able to throw out. He tells us that the seed is the Word of God and we're not to give out our truth. We're to give out His eternal truth. Uh, I can give you all kinds of good advice to help you through life, but the best advice I could ever give you is the Word of God. I had the privilege of sitting down with one of our see his neighbors we've been praying for here. I'll just give you his first name, William. I sat down with him on one day, and he shared with me a lot of life struggles he has going on. You know what I didn't do? I didn't sit there and give him some psychology to help him through his mental struggles. I opened up the Bible, and I showed him how to be saved. You know what William did? He bowed his head, and he gave his heart to Jesus on Monday night. Now, does he need advice to help him? Oh, yes, he does. But you know what his first need was? It was salvation. Oh, the provisions of God's Word. That is the beginning of a changed life. But not only does it give us seed, God's Word gives us the bread of life 
that fills our hungry souls. I don't know what I would do without my Bible. In fact, of all of the possessions that I own, my Bible is my most cherished. If I uh, had to run inside a burning home and only get one object out, it would probably be my Bible where I have wept tears on its pages and I've scribbled notes in its margins and I've underlined verses and I have a number of Bibles, but some of those Bibles are just so sentimental to me because they have fed my weary soul over and over and over again. Letter C, we see the proclamation of God's Word. Look at verse number 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so, the proclamation of God's Word, it needs to be proclaimed, it needs to be given out, and everywhere it's given out, boy, that's a big deal. You know, i got to tell you, there's some times where I'm out and about, and I'm uh, going to a McDonald's to get a hamburger right before my wife cooks dinner, amen, or I'm uh, at the gas station filling my gas pump, or um, maybe I'm out running an errand, and uh, I've got tracks in my pocket, or I've got tracks in my truck, and I think, you know what, I need to give these out. I need to make sure I give them out. And I see somebody and I think, man, you know what? That guy right there is the most unfriendly person I've ever met. I am not going to give him one because he's just going to reject it. I'm just kidding, Erlon. You're very friendly. All right? And you know what? I keep it in my pocket. You know what? That's wrong. I should at least offer it. You know why? Because on the back of that track are Bible verses. And God's Word doesn't return void. And if he takes that and reads it, you know what's going to happen? It very well may change his life. And you know, you think, oh, I gave out tracts. Does anybody know? Oh, listen, you have no idea how many people are going to be in heaven one day because people walked around and just passed out gospel tracts. You proclaim God's Word and some very, very powerful things happen. Oh, we need to be busy preaching and proclaiming a word that does not return void. Letter D, notice the praise of God's word. Look at verse number 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall bring forth before you into, uh, break forth before you into singing and, uh, the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And you say, pastor, uh, that's metaphorical, right? I don't think it is. The Bible teaches that heavens pro- declare the glory of God. The first uh, showeth forth His handiwork. There is a language that nature sings. That is the praises of God that He hears in His ears. The birds that sing, the oceans that clap, the trees that rustle, all of those things bring forth a voice of praise that come into the ears of their Creator. Letter E. And lastly, we see the peace of God's Word. Oh, this is so good. Uh, listen, look at verse 12 and 13. We finish here. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Look at 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And there shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. There are many people in their lives, they have thorns and they have briars that are the result of sin and sinful choices. They've got pain and hurt. They've got struggles that go down emotional and physical and mental and spiritual. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to take those briars away. He wants to take uh, those uh, thorns out of your life. And He wants to replace them with trees that grow forth and are beautiful. But you have 
to fall in love with this book and you have to obey this book and you have to do what it says. And as a result, God will take your sorrow and He will give you great peace. Amen? What a great chapter in the Bible. Isaiah 55, I know, I, look, all of them become my favorite, but at this time, at this very moment right now, Isaiah 55 is my favorite chapter in Isaiah. Oh, it's so rich and good, and I hope your heart's been encouraged. Isaiah 56 will be my favorite chapter next week. I hope you'll be back. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray and go forth, and I hope this week you'll remember that perspective that God's ways are higher than our ways, and His Word is eternal and powerful. Amen? Let's pray as we go forth and serve God and ask Him to bless us and guide us as we go.